Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. I am joined by Bobby Ryan, who I am thrilled to have him on this week for any any number of reasons. Plus, it's always good to, to chat with Bobby, um, just because he's a great dude. Bobby, how are you? How's it going? I'm doing good. I'm good. I can't believe it took you. I don't know how long this has been going. I'm going to have to be a regular listener now, <laughs> listener now but thanks for letting me kick in here. I appreciate it. it just, took a, just took me signing in Detroit. Uh, that's right. Well, you know, it, it's funny that what's happened, the the one benefit for people that have podcasts to, to COVID and the league shutting down was players have a little bit more time. So when you ask for an hour, it's not an automatic no, which I've enjoyed. Like we've had some incredible <laughs> conversations out here. Good. good. Uh, so we, yeah, we were just chatting. So you're in Nashville now. How is that going? Uh, it's been nice. We got here October 1st and the goal was to kind of just uh, rent for a month and, and we knew with the buyout, we'd have to figure out where it was next. Uh, right. Luckily, next is just, you know, eight hours up the road. But uh, it, it's been a great month getting to know the area a little bit. And, and you know, retirement looming is coming and we're going to be down here full time. So uh, we're pretty excited about the area. There's a, there's a lot to do and a lot to see, that's for sure. Retirement. I'm not ready to have this conversation about retirement, Bobby. I'm not yet, but you gotta you gotta face facts, right? So <laughs> uh, I'm gonna play until they take my jersey. But uh, I'm, I, you know, starting to think about where we want to be long term. Yeah. So I I, I want to start right with the buyout in in Ottawa and maybe backtrack a little bit into Ottawa. But how when did you get word that this was like? Was this something you anticipated, or can you just share that story a little bit? Like, how did you find out this was gonna happen? Um, with the time difference, I got to call it about seven o'clock in the morning, uh, on, I guess it was probably the first day that buyout window had opened. Right. Uh, it was, I think it was a Friday morning and, and, uh, I was actually just getting off the bike and, and getting my day started with my wife and Pierre had called and let me know. And it was about a, you know, a minute conversation. So there's, there's really not much uh, to say. Okay. What do you, what right. do you say really? Right. So, um, said, okay. And thank you and good luck. And that's it. But, uh, yeah, it came as a, a complete shock. I, there was no, no word of, you know, word of mouth from my agent or anything. Just, uh, just a very, very quick phone call. So I actually found out before my agents and called him to let him know. Um, so it was a, yeah, not, you know, not the call I expected on that Friday morning for sure, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. What can you do? Yeah. And, and so the, you know, the interesting thing about the buyout, this has been such a weird summer anyways, or summer, I'm still calling it, it's October. Yeah. It's been such a weird off season. Um, at least I'm not calling it July 1st anymore, free agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you had a, a bit of a head start in, in in being able to have these conversations. What was that process like for you? Uh, minimal, to be honest with you. I mean, not not because there wasn't interest or anything like that, but uh, I spoke with my agent quickly and and you know, within 24 hours or a couple of teams that kind of kicked the tires and, and I didn't know I was allowed to start interviewing them until, you know, a certain date, like everybody else. I, I just figured I had to do that. But uh, because of the buyout situation, I was able to get on the phone with a couple of teams and did that. And it, it, it's interesting. I've never been to free agency before, right? I've had six years in Anaheim, seven years in Ottawa. So this was a first and uh, I guess to hear pitches and I, you know, when you're a guy that's going to be making a million, a million five or whatever it might be somewhere, the pitches aren't, aren't long and outstanding or anything like that. But, uh, Steve's was, it was just an outstanding conversation. So it, it was very, 
I, I, it was a fun process, I guess, to hear other teams that are kicking tires and thinking about where you might want to live for a year or whatever it might be. Um, Detroit just made the most sense for so many different reasons. Yeah, it was interesting. Right around when you're doing that, you know, we're those of us that are covering free agency are, are making phone calls, and I was trying to get a, a sense. And it, it was right away, like, you know, I got the impression there was definitely multiple teams interested. And I was talking to someone, they're like, you know, Bobby could be. Corey Perry, right? Like this could be a guy yeah. that goes and is on this on a cup contender and comes in in a, in a reasonable deal and provides that. And so that, I think that's what I was picturing. So I, you know, I was surprised that Detroit was the destination. I, I guess I was imagining, hey, let's go to somewhere that's knocking on the door. What, like, what? Yeah. How did you weigh all that? Well, I think with Corey and his situation, um, and, and we were compared a lot. You know, same agent and, and being close friends and all that. So they used him as an example quite a bit, but for me, I thought, you know, Corey's established and, and not that I'm not, but I, but I had a very different year from, from him the year previous. Right. So right, right. a lot's changed. And, and even though I got eight games in and, um, and played well and, you know, with, with four or five points and goals and whatever, uh, down that stretch, I, I knew that I needed to prove that there was still some high end hockey in me. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to go somewhere and, and immediately be, you know, a, a third, fourth line guy, I, I still think I can play in the top six to nine, I guess, is the way you, you would look at it. And, uh, you know, Steve made it clear that I can earn that there, uh, whereas other teams I talked to, I don't know if there was a lot of opportunity to move up. Um, and, and Steve was honest and candid about the fact that, listen, if you're having a very good year and you want to leave at the deadline and I have offers and we can sit down and talk about those things, then we'll do that. Uh, but this this opportunity just gave me the most chance to and – and I was excited to play with those young guys. They got, they got four or five really, really good young forwards there that that not only are they young, but they've been in the league. Like Dylan Larkin's, what, 25? It feels like he's been in the league for 10 years. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe having the chance to play with him or whoever it might be in that top six if I work my way in there and uh, – and prove that I can still score and still, you know, that I have some legs left, some hockey left. And then, you know, we'll reassess if that, if something happens to the deadline grade, if not, it, and I just stay with the Detroit. I, I'm very happy about the situation there. Yeah. It's, it's over with now. Can you tell us who some of the other teams were you were looking at? Uh, I probably could, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had uh, to take a run at it, Bobby. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> no, there were some other teams and I'll let, you know, just, for the sake of the guys that signed there, uh, yeah, oh, right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave those teams out of it. But there was, there was some interest, some, some genuine interest, and and I heard, I really only heard one or two other teams out, uh, and 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 you know there were some Canadian teams, but it was it was my wife was adamant that we return to the states and and start setting up uh, uh, life where we're going to be living forever. So right. that was that, that was a big thing. Um, I, it was interesting to get your perspective about Steve Eiserman's pitch um, because we, you know, I don't know, we don't necessarily see that side of Steve, right? He's he's a pretty serious guy, intense. You yeah. know, he's done a great job as a GM. Um, and and it was well, the one thing that really stood out to me was you know you you mentioned just his passion for the organization, right? Which I mean yeah. makes sense, right? But like, what did that look like when you were talking to him? You, well, you can tell he's so far removed from being a player there, but he's still. You know, even probably with other organizations and in the time that he's worked in the league, you can still tell that just in your conversation that he just bleeds red and white, right? That those colors right. just come through for him. And you could tell that, um, well, I could tell, I guess I shouldn't say, but I, I could tell that he was he was adamant about getting back to where they were, Yeah. Um, you know, pre-rebuild, I guess is the best way to put it, pre-playoff appearances and things like that. And yeah. You know, he just, he, he, he loves the, he loves their core. He loves their group of guys. He, they, 
you know, they don't seem like they have a bad guy in the room. And, and those things are important for an older player coming in. You don't want to step into any kind of drama or, or a team that, you know, has issues off the ice. And, um, you know, he, he stressed that the guys that, that, that are there, even though they've been losing, are ready to get better and want to continue to get better. So, uh, and, and, and they'd be gone just by talking to him. You would know that they would be gone immediately if that wasn't the case. So, um, I, I was thoroughly impressed. I was intimidated, right? It's Steve Eisenman. I've never talked to him before. So, <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. To hear him come through with that kind of passion on the phone so far from, from playing, but being in the position to lead a team as a GM, uh, uh it was very, very refreshing. It's funny to hear people say that they're intimidated by Steve. You know, like there's not very many GMs, and I hear this occasionally. You know, an agent or another. You know, they'll be like, when you're talking to Steve Eisenman, you kind of you know it, right? Yeah, yeah, you certainly do. Um, and 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 you also you, you touched base with some players, right, on the Red Wings? I did. I reached out to Dylan. Uh, yeah. Really, the only contact that I could get through through you know mutual friends and and obviously the roller hockey world which i was a big part of so we had some mutual friends in that got his number and just kind of i just shot a text and asked about the city the team the guys um everything coaches and and we talked and shot text back and forth for a little little while and uh you know he was good he's he's been around forever so he's he knows the ups and the downs of it and uh and you know he was he's adamant that they're going to be more competitive this year he thinks that they've got a lot to to grow and that they're going to grow a lot throughout the year this year so um that was also refreshing to hear that and uh and and then obviously if you have the chance to play with them um which i may or may not get i don't know you just got to earn that opportunity but that being said i was like okay well this is a pretty fast pretty fast skater so (laughs) i was like i I can flip pucks just about anywhere and let them get them Go ahead, man. Go ahead. You, you start getting a bite, and I'll just flick it up there. Yeah, I, it's funny because I've you know I've been around for most of Dylan's career. I moved back up to Detroit, you know, right around the time he was breaking in, and I, he's so competitive, and I feel so bad that his career has aligned with basically the rebuilds portion of the Red Wings, right? Like he just missed, yeah. you know, he comes in the tail end, and you can sense he's he's so frustrated. But you know, it was interesting to hear you say that he's. He really believes like they're they're on the come a little bit. Yeah, I think for him, right, local kid, um, you know, probably got one or two years of hockey, and when they were still good, still good, but still very competitive, I guess would be the word to put. Um, and and then you know it happens, right? Every team goes through it at some point, and he was just you know now he gets to be the franchise leader and that kind of stuff, and I think he's handled it all incredibly well, and. Um, you know, you don't get the sense that he's bogged down by it. I think every year he probably comes in and, and you can see the competitive sense in him um, when you're playing against him. But, you know, not knowing him personally, you could always see that there was, you know, that he was there and every night to win. He wasn't just going through the motions. And, uh, and I, I always found that impressive. So I got a lot of respect for him in that regard. Have you talked to Jeff Blaschel? I did. Yeah, I had a, I had a conversation with him and I had met him in Idaho once, uh, you know, crossing paths as he was a guest of somebody and just said hello and talked for a few minutes. So, um, you know, outside of that, we just kind of talked about where I could fit and what, what I could bring to the table and, um, you know, some of his philosophy and, and where they think the team's headed. So uh, it was a very good conversation. Yeah, very good. Yeah. It, it, and so it was funny when I, when I went back and, you know, was doing some research for this, I one of the things that really jumped out to me was, how much it seemed like your your um and when we look back at the Ottawa stretch how much your time like your opinion changed right like you get traded there I don't want to say against your will but it, it, it is right like when you get dealt yeah. it's not like you were picking hand picking teams right when did it when did and, and then you know you said you fell in love with Ottawa by the end with it when did that transition begin for you in that stretch you know I 
we always felt comfortable there. It, it, it's a obviously being the Canadian capital, but it, it's still a small town, I guess, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, yeah. it, you know, and we're pretty far removed from downtown where we were. So I always had this feel that I was in the country still. Um, and I, I've always enjoyed that, obviously, as I pick places like far outside Nashville and far outside yeah. Idaho, um, that, that I've been comfortable in those situations. But you can go get a taste of downtown and you can take your wife to a nice dinner, but you can escape all that and, and get back to, you know, some nature and, and being comfortable. Um, you know, I've always liked the people in Ottawa. Um, I, w- I won't say I ever truly fell in love with the city part of it, but I definitely, the, the people in the community are just incredible. Um, and I, I had so many ups and downs there, right? So many highs, like the playoffs and then so many lows with slumps and, and last year that, um, they always embraced me. They always just kind of, um, you know, I, I don't want to say they gave me leeway because I certainly, I, I heard the bad things too. But at the same time, you never got the sense that people had given up on you, that they wanted you to get back and get stronger. And uh, and, and they're passionate about their team, right? And um, that's all you can ask for as a player, right? If they're going to come to the game and they're going to spend their money, you want to put a product on the ice and a winning team for them. And they've embraced the rebuild. And as as I think they're going get, to like, get a lot better in the next few years, they're going to get rewarded for their patience with it. So I, I'm happy for that community because the people are just incredible. You think they'll get back? I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're probably not going to trash the owner, but feel free to. But I still, I'm like, how can they do it when, when you know, it's just Wait, it's, yeah, you know, <laughs> I. It's funny. There's been so many things with with Eugene over the years that uh, that I, you know, I'm not going to comment deeply on. But the only thing I can tell you is that I, I've had so many one on one conversations, especially in the last year with Eugene, and and. He, he it's not that he you know the money the monetary thing i don't know much about i really don't i don't think any of the players do so right. i won't comment but i will say that the guy's treated me with nothing but respect he's treated my family well he genuinely comes in the room and engages with the guys when he's in town um you know there's a lot to like about him when you meet him personally so that's my only experience with him and that's all i'll say on it but i i i think that he'll come through knowing that the team and the guys that are coming through are going to be are going to reward him if he does mm. That's my two cents, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you're a classy guy, Bobby. I would expect nothing. Isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny. And I, I, it, I just had Willie O'Ree. We were talking yesterday, and I was talking about – like he was talking about the ovation he heard when he scored his first NHL goal, and he can remember it like it was yesterday. And I was just going back and watching video of the ovation and the chance when you had that hat trick. And I imagine – you feel the same way. What was it like in that moment, and not you know when to hear those Ottawa fans doing that? Oh, it was it was inc- I mean, it was overwhelming, right? You you come back, and it was what a hundred hundred days, I guess. So you know, from my last game, uh, obviously I had played that. People forget I had played that one game in Nashville on the road uh, mm. to get to get my feet wet and play my first game away from the media kind of stuff. So. Uh, you know, I was back and I, I had a very good game in Nashville. I felt really good. I had a breakaway. I just missed. And, and I felt I felt like even with all that time off, that something was building. And uh, I scored scored that first one. And um, I knew the I knew the fans were going to be great. I just I, I knew that was never going to be an issue. I just didn't know they were going to go so far above and beyond. And they did. And, uh, you know, you score one and then you score two late. And uh, it, you can just feel the you could feel it in the building. It was rising. And uh, and uh you know, you get that third one, and I just finally it was just a little too hard for me to hold it down any longer. It was, you know, it brought it brought tears to my eyes, and and uh, I told my wife after that, I said, I am emotionally and physically wrecked right now. <laughs> like, yeah. like I can't, I can't believe I have to try to sleep and go right back to the rink for practice. Uh, <laughs> uh, and oddly enough, I think the next game was 
uh, was probably my worst game in the eight games. Just I I I couldn't yeah. get back to that level because I was so I was so so wrecked uh, emotionally. There was like, what what do you do now, right? Um, but but on that, I mean, that's just the night I will, I will never forget. Did you like when you came back physically? Did you feel, or what, what, how did you feel differently physically, just from a hockey playing perspective? Um, uh, strong. Well, you know, I mean, obviously the rest of the league's playing every other night, right? Yeah, and, that's true. And right. I, yeah. So, and I, I left, I left California to rejoin what I thought was rejoining the team on December twentieth. So I thought I was going to get a couple practices in, and then you know, not jump back in, but it's be around the team um practice with the team maybe not travel but practice and and all that and that was not the case it, it was like two weeks of nothing two weeks of skating by yourself and training yeah two weeks of this two weeks of that like there was just so many hurdles that i had to clear um before i knew it it was like two and a half months before i even saw the guys right it was it was getting ridiculous and hmm. i felt the best i've ever felt because i did nothing but train lift weights and skate like that was i mean that was it so while the other guys are all getting worn down by the the, the grind of 82 games i'm getting you know i'm i'm in summer shape right so, <laughs> so i felt right. great i felt like yeah i mean and i i felt like i had jump i felt like my legs um um you know were the best they've ever been at that time of the year and that you know that's because of what i was going through but uh you know it was just i i felt uh, mentally i felt better and clearer and you know a lot of the program had to do with that so it, it was the best i had ever felt getting back to hockey that's for sure so it's it's funny it's interesting to hear you know you get you go back and you play in nashville almost intentionally right like you know you can kind of sneak back into the lineup essentially if you're in nash yeah well, like how how did you approach how much of your story you wanted to share publicly versus you, you know what i mean did was that a conversation that you had with danielle or how did that play out uh, not not really i don't think there was too much conversation to be had because i knew it was going to have to come out right there was just yeah. no way and, and if you don't tell it then then people in media speculate and that's the worst <laughs> thing you can have happen right when no, what comes. yeah <laughs> yeah no you guys don't do that eh? Mm. um but I, I was like okay listen you know my issue is with alcohol anxiety ptsd uh, you know and a couple other things that i was diagnosed with and and learned about but alcohol was the stem of those right and that's that that's the easy thing to tell people you're having an issue with sure um, but what i didn't want to happen was say hey I, I dealt with some things in some personal time and i'm back because then you all of a sudden you know you got a molly habit or something that never right, would have right. been true so, we well, would have assumed the worst like we certainly that, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was there was just no way around it and i knew i was gonna have to be open and forthright and uh and now I'm glad I was because now I'm seeing the other side of it where not only did people in the media, especially in Ottawa, they handled it very delicately and, and mm-hmm. gave me my, you know, gave me my, um, my piece after the first initial press conference. But that being said, they, you know, they didn't press for more and more and uh, they just let me play. And, and um, if I hadn't done that, I think there would have been a question or two every day that I had to answer that just didn't make sense. Right. So at the risk of pressing for more and more, I, I, I do want to, you know, you had, it's interesting that it's come full circle in Detroit, right? Well, you said you had like yeah. a bit of a breakdown. Do you mind getting into like what that looked like to you? No. So, I mean, you know, without saying too much, I think there's, there's times within the year that, you know, coaches, coaches and management understand that the guys are going to have a few beers or whatever. And I've always been one of those guys that does that and goes out with the guys and has a nice dinner. And, and I think 
with a young team, uh, you're supposed to. There was three days before a game, so the guys went to the Lions game. Um, you know, I, I didn't go to the game. I had some other errands to run. Uh, but that being said, you know, met everybody for dinner and had drinks and just, uh, you know, just another one of those where everybody goes home and I'm like, where else am I going? What else am I doing? Um, because I get to a point where that I've learned that there's just no shut off. There's, there's go, go, go until you can't. And, uh, you know, I did that. I was in my room and, um, woke up in the morning and I was, you know, it's fine. I get home safe and everything. So no issues, but, uh, I, I got to the rink and, you know, just like a few of the other guys, you got to sweat out the salt as they say. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I just, you know, I, I knew that I, I couldn't really do it. I it was like, I just, there's nothing here. Um, so many times you you've got those days out but i was like okay these days are becoming a habit like these days are these days are lasting into two or three of these days right or whatever it might be um you're doing this three times a month you can't be doing this so um i was already dealing with some stuff i was already trying to trying to stop some stuff i was already working through with, with the therapist and yeah um just felt like not only on top of the you know the guilt and the shame that i had that i had to go you know, be a veteran guy at the rink for those young guys and show up to work. But, um, you know, there was the, the anxiety and the panic attack that came with it. And it all happened on the ice. And thankfully it happened very quietly because I was standing in the line when it happened and nobody was, nobody was around, but the assistant coach. And I just said, I got to go. Like it's, it, I I'm getting off this ice and I'm going somewhere right this second. And, uh, you know, probably the hardest and the best decision I've ever made at that time. Mm. Like who helped you get through all that the most? Um, I, I guess no real one person. I, I mean, if you're talking about that day, it was pretty much a community effort to get to where I had to go, um, and, and get on a plane that afternoon. But I mean, it, my wife's just a consummate, you know, I guess, companion, teammate, whatever you want to call it, um, getting through everything, right. Kind of keeps yeah. me in check and, and, and can tell when I'm on edge or can tell when, when things are weighing too heavily on me and things like that. So, um, you know, sometimes it's just a simple sentence, like, you know, go get out of here, go do something, go, you know, go burn some calories, whatever it might be. But, uh, right. um, never really pushes. I'm, I'm not very good at being community, community. I'm not a good communicator. Excuse me. Um, you're not, I'm surprised to, to hear you, that a little bit, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Not when it's, you know, not, not in personal things and, and right. things that, especially, I guess with people that are very close to me, I kind of keep a guard and, um, when I do that, she kind of keeps me in check and tells me to, to, to go talk to somebody because she knows it's not going to be her. So I call somebody that I need to call and get it off my chest and, and, you know, turn back into husband and dad. Right. Um, it, it's interesting because you, you address this kind of right before the world went sideways, right? Like I imagine, I think everyone now is dealing with, we have this higher baseline of anxiety yeah. just yeah. because of the world. And, I don't know. Like, it's interesting to me that you were able to kind of get, get out front a little bit, like without obviously not knowing what's happened, like in, in kind of put yourself in a good place to deal now with a lot of things you've had to deal with since February even. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I said it a few times and you've probably heard me say it, that there's, there's nothing good about COVID. Right. Um, right. And, right. and, and the, the state of the world right now. But for me personally, it was a blessing. Um, I hate to use it as a blessing, but it, it, it let me like I had addressed these issues, but it let me put them into practice, I guess. Um, and it, it taught me how to be more resilient and patient. And I'm still, you know, I'm still still learning. It's, it's not like I mastered anything. I just I think I have a little more tools in my tool belt than than most people right now, because everything's still so fresh to me in, in learning how to deal with my lifestyle and my anxiety and uh, all that. So it was a fortunate timing thing for me. 
um, 100%. I don't think my, my wife was right when she said, I don't think we would have made this if you were in the same state you were five months ago, blah, 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 whenever it started. And, uh, and I, I, I certainly would agree with her. But, uh, you know, that being said, my anxiety has been through the roof at, at times, the lockdown, the quarantine, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was. Um, you know, I've had slip ups, I've had mess ups, I, I relapsed very, very quickly. But, uh, you know, it was a one day thing. Well, it, it was a two hour thing. It wasn't even bad. Right. So it's yeah. just like, it's one of those things where you just you you have to deal with every day as as a new day. And it seems harder to do with COVID world. Uh, so I understand that. But, you know, just continue to, to address the things that are that are, I guess, the demons that are lurking and, and get to work on them. What's a tool that you found really works for you in terms of I, I have said it before. The biggest thing for me is, is, I guess I wouldn't even call it a tool. It's five minutes to myself every morning. So if the kids get up and I beat them up and I go downstairs and I sit by myself and yeah. some, um, some days I read the daily stoic and just the, the mm-hmm. easy stuff that kind of sets your day up right mentally. Uh, some days I'll put a podcast in like a sober living podcast or something like that. Just to, just to kind of hear people talk about things. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I go, meetings help. I don't, I'm not a big AA meeting guy, but I, I do tune into them. Um, so there, I, there's so many tools, but for me, it's the, the five minutes to myself in the morning, go ahead, go downstairs, get your head right. And then come up and deal with whatever the problem that's going to be presented that day is, but do it from the right frame of mind. So set your mind up correctly. Do you do any journaling? You know, I tried to get into that and that was not for me. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, no, I did try it. Uh, I, I gave everything a try, everything that they had asked me to do and, uh, you know, all the different things that help people. But, uh, yeah, journaling wasn't one for me. For me, the biggest thing is I, I love music. So I, I'll put a playlist on when I'm driving that kind of helps me, uh, lyrically connect with different things. What's your, uh, what do you like to listen to? I don't, I don't know if I know this. Probably not. No, I'm all over the map. Uh, really big in, really big into James Bay, Cody Jenks, the, the Texas country guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I do listen to a little bit of rap when I'm working out, but yeah, yeah, I guess uh, almost acoustic or alternative country type stuff. Yeah. One thing I, I don't, I don't know if people realize in Detroit, this is, um, you lived in Detroit briefly, right? For, I want to say around 2003, or, or at least in this area. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, 2003. Wow, you're on it. Um, oh, it was, huh? my, it was my OHL draft year. I went up there um, to play in front of the U.S. national team uh, with Detroit Honey Baked and uh, lived in Bright. Oh, I lived in Pinckney, actually, but, you know, Brighton area. Um, so it, was this to kind of get the attention of the program or what, what was the thought process? Well, the thought process, I was in California with the L.A. Junior Kings program and, yeah. Um, you know, at this point, my dad had been caught for a few years and financially my mom just couldn't make it work anymore. So yeah. she was moving back home for some for some job in Jersey. And I, I, well, I wasn't playing hockey in New Jersey, that's for sure. So, you know, she kind of let me split the difference. And Michigan was just an hour and a half flight. Uh, so we made that decision. But yeah, in part, it was to play with the or to be in front of the US NTDP. But I ended up getting an offer to play for that team before the season started. So you know, I was committed to the program all year, but I decided to stay in Michigan. I liked the group of guys and I thought there was a good chance for nationals there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So everything aligned perfectly, but yeah, LA went on to win their third title and I got to watch all my friends, <laughs> friends win it, you know? So I, I won two with them and then watched them win a third. But, um, you know, for me, it was just, it was it made more sense to be back in front of friends and family. Right. Right. And then you made the terrible decision to play junior hockey instead of college hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I pissed Red Berenson off quite a bit there. Oh, I imagine he's bitter. It's funny. Yeah. I've had. I've had. The last few players, I had, we, I talked to Tyler Sagan and Brent Burns, and you, and and each one had some story about the University of Michigan and how close oh, yeah. they came to going. Like Sags was like, all they had to do was offer me a full ride, and I was there. And I, I think it was Brent Burns. I've, I've lost track now, yeah. but each one had some. So, you, how close were you to going to Michigan? Well, I had like the uh, the verbal handshake commitment, right? I was Oof. already, yeah, I was already locked in, and I was in tenth grade, and you know, it's kind of. I, I guess I don't know if it, the ages changed then, but you can't sign anything. You can just say, "Hey, verbally, we're coming here, and this is our yeah. plan." But I, I was all dialed in, and and I had always wanted to go to Michigan as a kid, so um, it made the most sense. But the problem is, you don't know how good you are, or I guess if there's a chance, right? So I remember sitting down with people, and they were like, "Listen, you're, you know, you're projected as long as you don't mess this up, and you can yeah. to get better as a top top ten, fifteen pick at that time." Uh, right. But that, I can't fathom that at 10th grade. I don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> so I just said, okay, well, um, you know, my dream was like every American kid is to play college hockey until you start to do some research and you're like, wow, the OHL, this, you know, you're, you're traveling a little bit, you're playing against guys that are already 20 and drafted and um, you're doing it in front of a good amount of fans where as I would have had to wait two years for that at Michigan. And then the other side of it is you get drafted in the top 10, um, are you going to go to Michigan for one year and leave? Like what's, what's the point of going for one year of schooling uh, at that point? So, you know, sitting down with my, my family and, and advisors, uh, you know, college route just didn't make the most sense for me. I, I think I had matured early enough that uh, that juniors, I was ready to go in there physically. Um, what was it like to play with a, a young Mark Giordano at that point? You know, I, so I was an, I was an underage, he was an overage and, and yeah. um, he was it, it's so weird as an overager like never drafted um and i was like why like why is this guy not drafted i was thinking if i'm this if i'm that good at 20 like i hope i'm an elite <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's great uh, that's i honestly thought that but uh he was very good ran a good power play um you know i always i always watched how hard he worked off the ice because he was he was uh, always very concerned about being Jack. So, but we didn't have a ton. <laughs> we we didn't have a ton of a relationship. There was that's just a very big age difference, right? Twenty one. It really is like sixteen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they had their older crew, and they were they had a very very tight crew up there with him and Richardson, Patrick Jarrett, and um, a couple other guys. So I didn't get to know him much more than you know talking at the rink and talking hockey and stuff. But uh, I liked playing with him. I thought he was an awesome hockey player. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, right. Like at this, at this point in your career, like you, you're right. You're, you're, you know, top prospect in, in, you know, North America, that sort of thing. And I remember Bobby or Brian Burke at one point saying, you gave the best interview, best draft interview that he'd ever seen, yeah. ever seen. Yeah. What, do you, what do you remember about that process? And like, did you think it was going that well? Were you sitting there going, boy, I'm killing this? No, no, I certainly <laughs> didn't. Um, and not, not really in any of them if i'm being honest yeah uh, but i think you know i think guys go into those things and especially at the combine you're doing like you're doing like 15 a day um and they're 25 30 minutes long and then you got seven minutes to run to the next one so there were times that like i'd be interviewing with i I'll just use two teams as an example i'll be i'll be in there with boston and thinking i'm with philly like it just right like i <laughs> right. forget um and you're bogged down but um yeah i don't remember anything about the interview other than um, there was no gimmicks in there and there were some gimmicks in the other ones and some stupid right. questions to kind of get reactions out of you. And like, 
I didn't find that. I felt like it was a very straightforward interview and I've always been very comfortable in those settings. So it felt like more of a conversation. What do you need to do? How do you get better? What do you need? I was, I was just honest and it, it turned out to be a good one. Yeah. Was, I, I don't remember the timing. Was like, was your family story being asked about, like, did people know about it at that point? Like in those, just, in those cities? Yeah. yeah. Uh, more so than ever. Cause it had just come out. Right. Nobody okay. had known. Um, and, and then Gary Joyce did an article. I don't know if it was Sportsnet. I, I can't remember. I feel like it was ESPN, the magazine. I think but, it uh, was. I think it was anyway, the mag. Yeah. yeah. And that was the first time that I kind of, we had released all that. And the reason we did that was because we didn't want to go in there. And then the hockey world being small, somebody knows somebody that knows somebody that knows something about the situation, right? So then you get a question that comes out of left field and you're not prepared for it. And um feels like you're hiding something and i didn't want that i didn't want to go into interviews feeling like i was hiding anything i said just like listen here's what happened here's our version of the story uh as cleanly as we could tell it and gary did a fantastic job of putting that out there for us and and if you have questions you know ask away i'm not really I'm, uh, i said i'm an open book but there's still things that i don't know right and i live right. it, so i can't help you with those things but ask what you can ask and i'll try to answer what i can answer was it like that age is so hard anyways in that whole that process like how difficult was that for you like was was did it was it natural or i i just imagine that's a lot for a 17 year old or whatever yeah i mean when that story came out you know the people look at you differently for a little while mm-hmm. right and especially guys that i had played with for a couple of years in ohl that had no clue but then it comes right. out and they kind of you know, I, I felt like people started to treat me very delicately and I hated that about it. But, right. um, you know, that being said, it was, you know, it, it happened, it, it got addressed and then it, people forget once you get back on the ice, right? <laughs> they really right. do. Uh, no, and, and Brian Burke said it best when I was going through some stuff my year after being drafted, he said, the guys on the other side of the ice certainly don't care how you were treated and what happened to you. Um, you know, the guys in your room do because they're your buddies and your friends, but those guys don't care. You need to, you need to find a way to put that aside yeah. um, when, when you go out and play. And, uh, it took me a long time to do that and, uh, did it for a long time. And then, um, you know, kind of slipped in the last three years with that. It kind of all came back to bite me and, uh, felt like I buried things for so long that then they became real issues instead of just ones I was making up. Right. 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 I mean, was that when you and I know we're I know you've got to watch your kids, so I know we can't get too deep here. But like when you say you were dealing like with PTSD, was that the the root of it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I had I've learned I had four or five different roots of it. But, uh, right. Right. But yeah. That, that, that was certainly one of them. Um, you know, and then my mom passed in in um, was it 2016. Excuse me. So we're going on four years now. And um that was when things really started to slide for me and that was when uh, you know so many conversations left on unhad and things like that that uh just didn't get to address and i was addressing them by trying to find you know profound thoughts in a glass of wine right, right. that just never gonna happen uh, yeah. uh i gave it a hell of a shot but <laughs> not gonna not gonna happen so uh yeah those you know those were the start of things for me but uh you know but hopefully Never going to be in the past, but hopefully just kind of on my shoulder instead of instead of right in front of me. When you wrote that piece in the Players' Tribune to your mom, which was, I, I mean, was unbelievable. Um, no, thank you. One of the things you wrote was, I've realized all of my dreams, every single one. And, I, you know, I think that's like to be able to communicate that and say that is is amazing. And so I sit here and think now, like, 
as you're continuing your career and you're you know you're growing your family like what do you do you come up with a new set of dreams or what's your approach yeah you know at that time my, my first daughter was born um my mom got to meet her uh for two three days before she passed and um you know at those at that point those were my dreams right to to play in the nhl and have a lengthy career and i i was doing that to have a family i just just kind of crossed that off you know weeks beforehand and Mm. Um, you know, everything in my life that I had really wanted to attempt, um, I did and she got to see most of it. So I'm, I'm happy about that, but going forward, yeah, my new dreams are, you know, we've since had another, my little guy's two now. Um, you know, my dreams have certainly shifted out of hockey into fatherhood dreams now. Right. And, and I think everybody that has kids can attest to that, but at four and two, you know, I'm going to be done in time for for a lot of their lives. So my, my dreams have shifted into obviously play hockey for a couple more years and, and, and do it well and do it on my own terms and professionally now that the other issues are in the past, but, um, you know, the dreams change into, uh, get to dance recitals and, and get the hockey game for your kid. And, and those are it right now for me, obviously right. I'd like to hoist the cup before I go, but, uh, uh, you know, cross that bridge as the year come, uh, comes, but yeah, just make sure I'm the dad that I'm supposed to be, to be. Yeah. Four and two. So, are you driven to keep playing so that they'll, you know, they'll be able to see you play and remember it and that sort of thing? Does that? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. My my two year olds. You know, uh, my daughter is four, so she's she could care less uh, <laughs> about the hockey side of things. That's but right. She she sees games and uh, and I don't know what the mascot is in Detroit. I have to I have to look that up for her. There's but not she, really she one. Met. It's like an octopus or something. I don't know what the. Oh, uh, okay. So pretty she'll, she'll be less scared of that than she was a Sparta cat in Ottawa. She hated him, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know she she understands what I do. And and when I leave every morning to go skate, she says, "Are you going to work?" I say, "Yes," and whatever. Uh, my little guy is now starting to hit hit the little pucks and stuff around the house and doing the celebrations and stuff. So it, it's getting that. more and more fun. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's the best thing of every day that when he does that, but, uh, I'd like to, I'd like for him to really see games and understand, cause I think he can this year and I'm hoping at some point that they get fans in the building so that he can do that. Yeah. I, I just think of every, you know, all the experiences you've had, Bobby and, and now it's kids. And I, like, I, I think about this stuff all the time. I've got three kids of my own and, and how yeah. like my experiences have shaped how I am as a dad. Like, how do you think ultimately it's, you know, it's, it shapes you as a father? My experience? Yeah. I just feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you've had to deal with more than a lot of us have had to deal with. And so now yeah. you're, now you're raising kids of your own. It's, it's. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would say that there was, there was two definite uh, changes for me. Um, one would be patience because I, I exhibited none of it. Um, you know, I, I, and it wasn't like, the alcohol wasn't why Danielle wouldn't leave me alone with the kids. It was because my anxiety, my pa- my patience level was so thin that, that I couldn't, I just physically couldn't do it. Um, yeah. You know, I could do it for spurts an hour here, an hour there, but I just, I couldn't handle more than that. Now I certainly can. Now it's like, go ahead, babe, do your thing today. And, and I can, um, I can certainly, you know, I, I don't want to say grind it out, but I, I can, I can enjoy myself with my kids for, for hours at a time, which I would never thought was going to be possible if you had asked me nine, 10 months ago. Right. Um, and two, you, you learn how to, I couldn't understand why a four-year-old couldn't rationalize for the longest period of time. Like, <laughs> like, why does this not make sense to her? Because there's, there's clearly like, I'm sorry, but 
uh, Netflix isn't working, right. she wouldn't right. get that. So <laughs> right. that and that, that would drive me. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm talking down to a three year old. I'm like, what is right. like, what is wrong with me? So yeah. it the, and the patience is also part of rationalizing. But uh, those those two things have certainly uh, changed for me in the in the best of ways. And uh, and and you know, my relationship with my four year old has grown tremendously in the last year. Um, and that's also part in that I'm not, you know, I'm not in for four or five days out for six or seven, whatever it might be that the travel changes. So just being home and having a set routine right now is, uh, has helped us grow by leaps and bounds. But those two things, rationalizing and patience for sure. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like, like you said, there's, you know, COVID's terrible and I know people are struggling, but like that, you know, as writers, we're, we're on a similar, like we're on the road a lot and it's, you know, I, there is something like this year I'll, I'll look back and be like, I love that time I had with my kids and, you know, and, yeah. and it's going to change how I approach the future and, and decisions I make. Yeah. I, I would hope that people have recognized that the, the, the positive side of things, right. Um, in this, in this, I guess, COVID world, as I keep saying, but uh, yeah. yeah, number one would be time. You're having time that you never had before, whether you're out of work or you're, or you're a you know, not traveling, whatever it might be. There's so many, so many things I got to do this year that were, that were so far fetched a couple, you know, even last year, um, because of the slowdown that's had to have happened because of this. So, uh, I hope people don't forget that. Yeah. Um, all right. Last, last thing I, you, it was interesting to hear, you know, you and Steve had already kind of said, Hey, depending on how the season goes, you know, the, the trade deadline, we can have this conversation. Uh, like you, you've seen where guys have picked, like we see Joe Thornton, you know, which, which is crazy going to Toronto, right. And, and right, chasing yeah. his cup. And, and you mentioned, you know, wanting to win a cup. Have you thought about that? You know, Hey, I want to end up in the right spot at some point here to give myself the best chance. Uh, as in this year or just in general? Or Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's mm. it, it, like, I don't know how one, if you sit there and go, I got to try to pick the right teams or, or, you know. Yeah, I, I guess in that sense, yeah. I mean, this year, um, this year I wasn't looking at it like that. This year I was like, where can I, where can I go that I can play the most, um, play solid minutes, prove that I can contribute, and then, and then you reassess, right? But um, so yeah, I, eventually I'd like to do that, and and I know time on on me is kind of running out, but I'm going to try to play for as long as I can, and and eventually get to a place that is going to contend, right? I all you want is one more chance at it, and. Uh, and that's what I'm looking for. But that being said, too, if, if I'm in Detroit and, and uh, love it as much as I really think my wife and I are going to love it there, mm-hmm. then you know, then maybe you just stay and, and and you know hope to get in the playoffs with them and hope something happens. Who knows? But uh, yeah, for me right now, it's just about getting back to normal and playing some hockey. Awesome. Well, Bobby, thanks for doing this. This was awesome to catch up. No, oh, it's my pleasure, man. Anytime. All right. Take care. I know you got a lot of stuff to do, so I don't want to hold you yeah, up. Yeah, I got to go watch the Rugrats. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so. I want to thank Bobby Ryan for joining the podcast. Always great to catch up with Bobby. An incredible story. I'm, I, you know, I'm thrilled. Selfishly, I'm thrilled to have him in Detroit, uh, where I'm based, because I can go pop down to Little Caesars Arena and, and catch up with him and track his progress this season. I think he's going to have a great year. It sounds like he's got his, his house in order and has a great opportunity in Detroit. And just a great guy. I think everybody's rooting for Bobby. So thanks again to Bobby. Thanks to the Red Wings for setting that up. And before we wrap up, I just want to encourage you to check out the comments section on each podcast episode with the Athletic app. 
And also encourage you to rate and subscribe to the Full 60 on Apple or wherever you, wherever it is you're listening to podcasts. And lastly, don't forget, if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash full60 and you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 per week. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Bobby Ryan. Thank you for listening and have a great week.